Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person. And I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, uh, worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, again, I want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church for everyone who's here on the Modesto campus and everyone who's joining us live right now in our online campus. We're excited to be together, a, a local assembly of believers who have gathered together to worship Jesus Christ. We've just finished a 12-week series called Grace Transforms. Thank you, brother, where we were looking at how the grace of God transforms our lives, and I'll be talking about that in just a little bit here. But it's amazing how uh, summer is kind of gone and we're heading towards Thanksgiving. I don't know how that you know, happens so fast, but that's pretty, pretty incredible. And that's what we're doing this weekend. We're turning our attention towards Thanksgiving. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8. If you want to take your Bible and turn to Acts chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, that's where we'll be in our text this weekend. We will end in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And the structure of how we're going to walk through the word together this weekend is first, we're going to dig into a biblical account, and we're going to look at a true story, a real historical account, something that actually happened, it's truthful history. And then we have a friend who's here with us this weekend who's going to help us understand how that scriptural account can be understood in light of current events that are happening and real things that are taking place in our world right now. And then we will come back around and we'll have opportunity to ask, how can we live in light of this text? And what encouragement can we have as we walk forward in Christ? So before we get into this text, I want to remind us of what we've been looking at over the last 12 weeks with Grace Transforms, and that is a God-sized goal. A God-sized goal that we would glorify God as a church family through exponential discipleship. Disciples making disciples, making disciples, making disciples. In other words, that the great commission of Jesus Christ would be for all of us. That we would all be a part of making disciples of Jesus Christ. We'd all be a part of growing up disciples in Jesus Christ. That we would all participate in discipleship. And we would be a part of the continuous cycle of disciples making disciples making disciples and that we'd bring God glory through exponential discipleship. A passage that we looked at last weekend was in Acts chapter 19. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And the thing that we've considered is what would it look like that all the residents of, and then insert your neighborhood right here. What would all the residents of your neighborhood, what would it look like if all the residents of your neighborhood heard the word of the Lord? Wouldn't that be incredible? We think that that's possible. It's possible that all the residents who live around you might hear the word of the Lord. We say, well, how? How would that be possible? What would be possible? When, because grace transforms. The grace of God transforms our lives. And the challenge would be that we would live transformed. 
We'd live transformed by the grace of God. We'd live as a citizen of heaven, transformed by God's grace. We'd live as a citizen of heaven, and we would go and we would love our actual neighbor. What that might look like? Well, that would be that we would believe, as every member of the body of Christ said, as believers, as members of the body of Christ, that we would influence and be led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that we would go and win people for Jesus Christ, sharing the gospel, evangelizing people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And as people come to Christ, that we would equip them We would come alongside them. We would walk alongside and disciple our actual neighbors or whoever it is that's coming to Christ. And that that we would multiply that process out. And we would lead others to do the same, that they might believe and influence and win and equip and multiply. The grace of God transforming our lives. Now, the passage that we're looking at, in that passage, we're going to meet a character. And the character's name is Stephen. And Stephen... He was a member of the body of Christ. And we see in this passage how he was being led by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we see in this passage how he was sharing the gospel. He was evangelizing to those around him. And that as people were coming to Christ, he was a part of the disciple making. Now in him, it might not have been a suburban neighborhood or a condo or on a farm. His context might have looked different. But he was coming alongside those who were coming to Christ. And he was a part of the process of what God was doing to lead others to do the same. So let's dig. Let's dig into the scriptures together. In Acts chapter 6, we'll begin in verse 5. Acts chapter 6, verse 5. Now, right before this, interestingly enough, the church leadership had some decisions to make. They were trying to figure out who they could give the responsibility to to deliver groceries. Isn't that interesting? As Pastor Rick just shared, that we're looking at who might be the people to deliver groceries during Thanksgiving reach. Well, the the leaders in the church at this moment, right before here, they were trying to figure out what kind of people should we have deliver groceries? What kind of people would be great people to go deliver groceries? And here's what it says. They chose Stephen. They made a leadership decision. They chose some people. And one of those people was Stephen. What kind of people did they choose? A man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Because clearly, that's the type of people you want to have deliver groceries. You want them to be full of faith, and you want them to be full of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's not really about groceries. It's about Jesus. It's about being used by God to bring people to Jesus. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And it says the word of God continued to increase. The word of God was multiplying during this time. As the followers of Jesus becoming obedient to him and being used by him, some of those followers of Jesus, what they were doing is delivering groceries, being full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. The word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. So exponential discipleship is taking place as disciples are making disciples are making disciples. And in verse 8, we find out more about this person, Stephen, who they chose to help deliver groceries. It says that he was full of grace and power. Wow, so he's full of faith, he's full of the Holy Spirit, now we find out he's full of grace and power. And it's important in this moment to understand how is all that possible in Stephen's life? Well, it's because the grace of God had transformed his life. These things are not originating in Stephen. These things are originating in God, and God is working through Stephen's life. And what's incredible is it says that as God is working through his life, he was full of faith, he was full of the Holy Spirit, he was full of grace, he was full of power, that Stephen was doing 
Something was happening in his life because God was working through his life. And because God is working, God is the source of the was doing. God is the source of whatever is happening in his life. And in this text, it says that because of God working in his life, that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. What an incredible thing. What an incredible picture of the type of people who deliver groceries. It's great. Verse nine, the story continues. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and disputed with Stephen. In other words, here you have someone who's full of faith, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of grace and he's full of power. God is working mightily in him. He's a part of the distribution of groceries and there's a group of people that don't like it. And they rise up and they now dispute with this man, this man named Stephen. But when they could not withstand the wisdom, it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. What an incredible verse. God had been working in his life to bring him wisdom. God was working in his life through the spirit of God. And the people who were rising up to dispute him, they couldn't do anything about it. They couldn't do anything about the wisdom of God that was in this man's life, and they couldn't do anything about the spirit of God that was in this man's life. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Isn't that an incredible verse? God working so powerfully. In verse 11, in Acts chapter six, then they secretly instigated, be careful about secret meetings. Be careful about people who wanna secretly instigate. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And the passage goes on in verse 12 to say, and they came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him before the council. I would imagine by the size of our church fellowship, there, there are people in our church fellowship who understand very, very dearly what the words, they came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him, that there's people in our church family who understand firsthand what words like that mean. I would also understand that there's probably many of us who don't have a personal experience with words like that, that someone came upon, someone seized, and someone brought. But this is serious. They came upon him, they seized him, and they brought him before the council. In verse 15, it goes on to say, and they were all gazing at him at Stephen, who sat in the council, and those who sat in the council, they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Somehow in this moment, God does something to his face, to where his face is now looking like the face of an angel. Whatever that looks like, that's what his face looks like, and that's what they see. And the high priest then says to him, hey, are these things so? Are you blaspheming against God? Are you saying things that are untrue about God? And Stephen responds in this moment, and this is how he responds. He says, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared. That's how he starts. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. And then what Stephen does next is he gives a history lesson, and he tells the overarching story of how God has worked with the people of Israel and how God has interacted with the people of Israel. And he, commu he communicates a historical lesson to the leaders, the religious leaders here, of how God has dealt with their nation. 
And I would encourage you to go and to read Acts chapter seven, verse two, until we pick it up again here in a little moment. And you will learn in a very compact way, you will learn a history lesson of how God has dealt with the nation of Israel. Namely, really in the Old Testament is what he is bringing a summary of. It's really quite incredible what Stephen does. He gives a factual history lesson. Then in verse 51, as Stephen is coming to a close of the factual history lesson that he gives, this is how he ends it. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. This is not a compliment. This is not a compliment that he is giving them. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. Maybe this next week you will need to give a biblical rebuke to somebody, and here's an opportunity of what one looks like. You stiff-necked people, can you imagine saying that? Uncircumcised in heart and ears. The person would look at you and say, what are you even saying? What are you, what are you talking about right now? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Whoa. God, may that never be said of us. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow. As did your fathers, as your fathers did, so do you. In other words, this is a family sin. This is a generational family sin, and you are continuing in it. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one. In other words, as the prophets came and they pointed forward to Jesus Christ, your family killed them. Your families, your fathers, your family lines, they killed the people who talked about Jesus and that Jesus was coming. They killed them. Whom you now betrayed and murdered. In other words, you're now walking in the very footsteps of those who walked before you. And in the same way they killed the people who talked about Jesus, Jesus has now come and you betrayed him and you murdered him. All of that in light of you who received the law as delivered by angels and didn't keep it. In other words, God brought you his truth and you rejected it. Wow, what a statement. Stephen giving a factual history lesson and then closing it in this way, speaking directly at the religious leaders about their condition and about their actions, speaking the truth about what has happened. Incredible. In verse 54, now when they heard these things, they were enraged. So the religious leaders in this moment are filled with rage. They are ticked off. They are very upset. And collectively, it says that they ground their teeth at him. Imagine a room full of religious leaders who are very full of rage, and they're grinding their teeth, which is like the worst sound ever. And that's happening. And it says, but he, Stephen, he's full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, what type of people deliver groceries? People who are full of faith, full of the Holy Spirit, full of grace, full of power. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, he gazes into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. God opens up his eyes in this moment to see something incredible. God peels back the curtain, if you will, and shows him a glimpse of glory. What an incredible gift that God gives to Stephen in this moment. It's really remarkable to consider it. 
And in verse 56, it says that Stephen, that he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So all Stephen does is say out loud what he sees. That's what he's doing. He sees something and then he says it out loud. I have a bunch of children who do that. It's very common. That's what he does. I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In verse 57, it says that the religious leaders, that they cried out. They're now yelling to stop the sound of him. They're now yelling over him to stop the sound of him. They cried out with a loud voice, and now they're stopping their ears. They're covering their ears because they do not want to hear the sound that's coming out of his mouth. And they are now rushing together at him. This is an intense scene. It says, then they cast him. They went and grabbed him. They picked him up and they transported him. They cast him. They threw him out of the city. And when they had done that, they then stoned him with like actual rocks for the purpose to kill him. This is intense. This is an intense scene. It says, and the witnesses, they laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he cried out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is his dying prayer. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. These are his dying prayers. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. It it, it sounds very familiar to the types of prayers that Jesus prayed. These are his dying prayers. It says, and when he said this, he fell asleep. He died because he was being murdered for Jesus. He was stoned to death. Incredible. Man, this is really tough. This is really tough. This is a tough passage. In verse one of chapter eight, And Saul, here we see Saul again, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered. Why are people scattered? Because people are coming after them. They're scattered because people are coming after them. People are coming for them. And it scatters the church. They were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. It says, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. I mean, they're mourning because someone was just murdered for Jesus. Verse three, but Saul was ravaging the church. He's entering house after house. He's going door to door looking for Christians. He's going door to door looking for Christians to drag off Christian men, to drag off Christian women, and to commit them to prison. That is intense. And in verse four, we see a glimpse of hope. In verse four, as it explains what happened next after this incredibly difficult scene. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. That's actually the opposite of what I would think would happen. Someone was just murdered for Jesus Let's stop talking about Jesus. Someone was just killed because they were talking about Jesus. Let's not talk about Jesus anymore. That's not what they do. It says those who were scattered, what did they do? They went and they talked about Jesus. Now Jesus is being talked about in more places. Wow. 
The gospel now going out because of persecution. Incredible. Incredible. Now, for some of us, this may be the first time that you've heard the biblical, true historical account of of Stephen. This may be the first time that you've heard it. There may be some of us where we've heard this before. We've heard this account before. There may be some of us in the room who understand what persecution like this is like. Some people in our church family may know, may know what it's like to experience persecution. There may be some of us who can't really understand this type of persecution. We have not experienced this type of persecution. Something like this, this kind of account seems very far away. It seems very distant from our experience. And this weekend, what we have the great opportunity, the great blessing of is we have a friend who is with us to help us see what is happening in our world right now, to help maybe bring some context in the world now uh, regarding this passage of what things are happening in this world now. And so we have with us our global reach partner from Mission India. So will you help me and welcome up Josh from Mission India? Well, good morning, Big Valley Grace. Glad to be here with you. Uh, my name is Josh Visser. I'm with Mission India, one of your ministry partners. Uh, we have a long and uh, really productive partnership between our two ministries. And uh, normally when someone from Mission India comes here, we're here to share about just the incredible transformation stories of how the Holy Spirit's at work in India. And today we're going to do something a little bit different um, We're going to talk a little bit more about what persecution looks like in light of the story we've just read from Acts chapter 6 and 7. Now, I would not fault you if you did not connect India with persecution. After all, this is um, an ally of the United States. It is the world's largest democracy uh, with a constitution that protects religious liberty. But also in the last few years, it has become a global hotspot for anti-Christian persecution. Uh, There's an organization uh, based here in California called Open Doors. Some of you are probably familiar with them. They're sort of a watchdog group that looks at where uh, the places in in, in our world are most hostile to Christians, and they put a list together every year. They call their World Watch List. And uh, for the last few years, the nation of India has actually been in the top 10 of that list. That puts India in front of countries like Syria, Iraq, Sudan, and Saudi Arabia. And so um, I want to share a story with you this morning, but before I get to that, just provide a little bit of context about maybe why this has, uh, why this has happened in India over the last few years. And, and one of the things I want to share is about the man who is the prime minister of India today. His name is Narendra Modi. Uh, Mr. Modi has been the prime minister since uh, his political party, the BJP, came into power in 2014. Uh, Why this matters is because uh, the BJP runs on a fiercely nationalistic Hindu-first agenda that that is filled with promises to keep India's religious minorities, namely Muslims and Christians, in their place. Mr. Modi is a card-carrying member, literally a card-carrying member of the militia group that is behind virtually all anti-Christian persecution in India today. In fact, it was the same group many, many years ago Uh, whose member assassinated Mahatma Gandhi for his tolerance toward outsiders. Um, Mr. Modi himself, his behavior and rhetoric has been so questionable 
that one month before he became the prime minister, he was still banned from visiting America. We had denied his visa because of his role as the chief minister of one of India's states uh, as he oversaw religious riots that killed more than 2,000 Muslims and stood by and did nothing. So this is a man who has a, a track record of not caring about Christians and Muslims in India. And today he's the most powerful man in India. His political party has probably the most power and control as any political administration in India's history. And so this has created an atmosphere of intimidation and violence uh, that is playing out on a daily basis on the ground in India. And I want to share with you a little example of that today by way of a video clip. I'm going to say one thing about that before we roll the clip. Um, this is not an easy clip to watch. Um, it's, it's intense. It's offensive. It's uncomfortable. And in that sense, it's also a lot like the story we just read in Acts chapter 7. But I want to give you that warning before we watch it. It's about two and a half minutes long, and then I'll unpack that uh, after the clip is done. So we'll roll that clip, please. <laughs> किसी भी बच्चे को बाइबल पढ़ाते हो या ईसु बहुत अच्छे हैं बिल्कुल नहीं बोलना राम अच्छे हैं है ना हनुमान अच्छे हैं और तुम हिंदू हो इस चीज को समझ लो अगर ऐसा रहता तो तुमको उनके घर पैदा करते हिंदू के घर में पैदा नहीं करते Yeah. <laughs> 
That clip uh, ends rather abruptly um, and uncomfortably, but so did Acts chapter 7 with just Stephen fell asleep. Um, a little bit about this. This young lady's name is Neetu. She's from the Indian state of Chattisgarh. Um, she became a Christian about seven years ago, and her crime, if you want to call it that, the reason that all of these people in her village are so upset with her and are threatening her is because she had the audacity of starting a small church, small worship and prayer group in her home, in her village. It's about 12 people that attend this, uh, this little gathering, and it's the first church that has ever been in this village. Um, the police did come, by the way, uh, and by the way, this was two and a half minutes of what was a four-hour ordeal. It lasted all afternoon. This was about three months ago. The police did come. Uh, they dispersed the crowd, and they assured Miss Nitu that no harm would come to her, provided that she halt her church service immediately uh, in order to ease the communal tensions that she was causing. And I can't help but when I see this video and see her story and I read Stephen's account, uh, I can't help but see a lot of correlation between these two. Uh, for example, Stephen was one of the seven, one of the first deacons. That, I mean, this was, he was new, part of a, a brand new movement, um, bringing something new to people who had not uh, heard it before and didn't want anything to do with it. Nitu is the same. She had started a church. She was sharing Jesus in a place where nobody had heard it before and nobody wanted to hear it. Uh, they both represented a threat to the system, right? The, a threat to the, to the spiritual status quo of their day. Um, Stephen was accused of blasphemy against God and Moses. Uh, Nitu also uh, was doing something similar. She was promoting something that went against everything that the people in this village believed. And maybe more so than we understand. Because in India, most people associate being India with being Hindu. There's very little separation between the two, and so her turning her back on Hinduism was really, in a way, her turning her back on her culture and her country. In Hinduism, there are millions of gods. Many of them are very territorial, very uh, geographically based, and so there are local deities in this village that people have worshipped, including Nitu's family, for generations. And uh, by turning her back on them, she was putting herself at risk uh, because she was rejecting them, and they're vengeful. They're angry gods who don't accept that. And so if something bad were to happen to her, they would say, it's because you turned your back on our gods. But more than that, if anything bad happened in her entire community, it would be her fault as well, because she was the one who invited this foreign god in, and that foreign god's presence angers the, the gods that are already there. And so not only was she just a problem, but she was a liability which needed to be dealt with. Now, 2,000 years have gone by between these two stories, and it feels like not much has changed. Um, but there's an application at the end of Acts 7 that, I'll be honest, I missed uh, a number of times reading the story of Stephen and, and, and his death. But I want to kind of conclude by calling this out a little more clearly this morning. Stephen's attackers were, they were so furious, you know, that their ears were blocked. Their ears were covered, and, and, and they were so angry. They weren't hearing anything that was being said. Uh, the story says that they, you know, they took their jackets, their coats, and cloaks off, uh, you know, because things were about to get real and dirty. 
And they handed him over to this guy in the corner who was Saul. They laid him at his feet. And I can, I can just picture him standing there off to the side, uh, watching this whole scene with his arms folded, uh, feeling pretty pleased that this traitor was about to get what he deserved. And when I picture Saul in that story, I can't help, I can't help but connect that to how I envision Prime Minister Narendra Modi standing over India, watching the things that are, that are unfolding on the ground in his nation today with his arms crossed, pleased uh, that people are getting what they deserve. But here's the thing. With his last dying breath, Stephen utters the words, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. It's a prayer for his persecutors. And, and I don't know if the guys throwing the rocks heard it or if that even matters. God, God can answer prayers that we don't even know about. But I know one person there who did hear that prayer. And it was the guy standing in the corner with his arms crossed, holding their coats. So the Apostle Paul's conversion and his entire ministry was an answer to Stephen's prayer. And that's an encouragement to us today because there is nothing and no one beyond God's ability to transform because of our prayers. And so Mission India has put together uh, a little seven-day prayer guide. I think they were handed out as you came in this morning. If not, you can get one on your way out. We would be delighted if you would take one of these and with your family uh, pray through this over the next week. Um, it's not tied to a calendar. You can pray through this every week if you would like. But I think it's a way that you can clarify your own prayers for the persecuted church, specifically in India, but applicable really to the persecuted church around the world. And so we'd be delighted if you would join us in praying for those who are facing persecution today, um, for those who are doing the persecuting, and also uh, for the guy holding the coats. Um, Big Valley has uh, been a great ministry partner to Mission India for many years. Uh, on behalf of our team and on behalf of the, the much larger team in India that, that I stand here representing, we just want to thank you. Uh, your name is known across our organization and attached to it is a lot of love and appreciation uh, for the encouragement and the partnership and ministry that you have uh, done with Mission India over the years. So thank you so much for, being, uh, for having me here today and thank you for praying with us this week. I'm really thankful that Josh has been able to be with us all weekend. He was on our series campus as well as this morning. And church, we can do this. We can pray. We, we can partner and pray with our brothers and sisters who are part of the body of Christ that we are a part of and that we can partner with them in prayer for the things that they are facing right now in this world. So let's do that together. Let's be prayerful together. And this week when you gather where you live, with those that you gather with, would you have this with you? And would you spend time praying and lifting up the part of the body of Christ who is experiencing persecution today? In addition to that, I wanna encourage you that when you bring a worship gift to Jesus Christ through the ministry of Big Valley Grace Community Church, you are supporting the work of our global reach partner, Mission India. So you are partnering with this organization as you bring your worship gifts to Jesus Christ. In addition to that, at this time, as a gift from the Big Valley Grace Community Church family to Mission India, we are giving them as a gift 1,000 Bibles for them to distribute 
So we're going to be praying and we're giving a gift of Bibles so they can be distributing those through their work. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have looked at a biblical account. We have heard from what is happening in our culture today. How can we now live in light of these texts and how can we receive encouragement in the Lord? That same Saul, he becomes the Apostle Paul. And the Saul who persecuted people because of Jesus ends up becoming the Apostle Paul who ends up being persecuted because of Jesus. And in the same way he was the one who persecuted others because of Jesus, he then receives persecution because of Jesus. And this is what he says as he writes to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. In light of the fact that he had been persecuted much, that's the context, Jesus said to me, this is, him, this is Paul talking, he says, Jesus said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Incredible. The guy who persecuted others because of Jesus now had been persecuted because of Jesus. And he says, my grace is sufficient. The, the grace of Jesus. The grace of Jesus is sufficient. He then goes on to say, for the sake of Christ, I am content with. And then he lists the things that he is content with. I am content with weaknesses. I am content with insults. I am content with hardships. I am content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. Does that look like the list of things that you are content with? My list, my list looks different. I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. This right here, this scripture is proof that Jesus is real. That a guy goes from persecuting people because of Jesus to being persecuted because of Jesus and then makes a statement like this, that he's content with it. It is proof that the resurrected Jesus Christ is alive. And he says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. The strength of God. So thinking about that, how can we then respond? Well, think of this. You can be living out God's will for your life even in the middle of persecution. And you can be making choices for God even in the middle of that persecution. You can be living out God's will for your life even in the middle of persecution and you can make these four choices. Now, I wanna share with you one word change, okay? You can be living out God's will for your life even in the middle of persecution or whatever else it is that you're facing, whatever opposition, whatever trouble, whatever experience you're in right now, whatever wall that you're up against, whatever difficulty that you're up against. You can be living out God's will for your life even in the middle of persecution or whatever it is you're facing when you make these four choices. Now what's incredible is this passage we're gonna look at, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 19. It explains the four choices. These are four very short verses. These four verses are so short, they all fit on the same screen with the points next to them. These are four choices that we can make. Choice number one, rejoice always. All of these choices are self-explanatory. 
Rejoice always. We can gather together and rejoice together as a church family, but we can also scatter and rejoice. We can go rejoice in our homes. We can rejoice in our relationships. We can rejoice in our workplace. We can rejoice in the community. We can rejoice in the marketplace. Rejoice always. We can make that choice. We can be living out God's will for our life, even in the middle of persecution or whatever it is we're facing. And we can make the choice to rejoice always. To pray without ceasing. To continue to come to Jesus, to continue to come to Jesus, to continue to come to Jesus, to seek after him, to follow after him, to come after him, to focus on him, to go for him. And we can be living out God's will for our life, even in the middle of persecution or whatever it is we're up against right now, whatever our situation is, whatever our fill in the blank is, and we can pray without season and we can continue to come to Jesus. Choice number three, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yeah, but I really wanna know what does God want from my life? I mean, what path does he want me to be on? I just want God to give me a sign. I just want him to tell me what am I supposed to do with my life? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Yeah, but I really need God to like point out and like tell me. Like I really need him to like say something, like show me, like put a sign. Like what is it he wants me to do? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You can be living out God's will for your life, even in the middle of persecution or whatever it is, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, and you can make the choice to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And number four, do not quench the spirit, because what type of people deliver groceries? The type of people who are full of faith and the type of people who are full of the spirit and the type of people who are full of grace and the type of people who are full of power. The type of people that God's working through in whatever role God calls us to serve him in, whether it's the distribution of food or it's any role that God calls us in, that we would live according to him and be led by him. Four choices. Church family, we can make these four choices and we can encourage each other to make these four choices. They're so simple, they explain themselves. But how powerful to live in light of these truths that we would walk living in this way, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Church family, this is our real Bible. This is our real Bible, this is it. This is our real Jesus. This is the real stuff of life. And we can have real encouragement and really be built up and really be strengthened in Jesus Christ as we live in submission to the Lord, to his word and his spirit. Let's encourage each other in that way. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come together to worship you. Lord, we love you and we wanna honor you. We're so grateful, Lord, to be able to dig into the scriptures together and see the real scriptures and hear about what's really happening in our world and receive real encouragement to live in light of these things, to follow you. And God, may we strengthen one another to follow you and to go after you and to keep being built up into Jesus Christ, into the head, the head of the church, that we might be mature in our faith, 
we might be built up and strengthened and experience the fullness of Christ. So Lord, we love you. Continue to do a great work in us. And this is what we ask, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said.